My dream school would be a school that is about medium-sized. I don't want to go to a super huge school where the teachers don't even know your name because of how big the classes are, but I also don't want to go to a super small school where I'm seeing the same people in every class over and over. That was Sarah. It is spring of her junior year of high school, and she's trying to decide where to apply to college. I would like to go somewhere that's close to where I already live, mainly because I do not want to go far away from my dog. If there was a dream school for me, there would be dogs in the dorms. And I would also like somewhere where I could major in guitar and then have a few different minors. Like, I really want to do Spanish, political science, and musical theater in college. And extracurriculars, I would probably want some type of sports teams that aren't, like, super competitive sports teams because I really like to play soccer. But since I haven't really been doing it all of high school, it would have to be, like, a less competitive team. I really want to do like a choir, different types of choirs to choose from. And I'd also like somewhere where they have musical musicals that are open to everyone. And as far as students, I just want a mix of all different kinds of students. Another thing, like a nice cafeteria or food court would be also pretty cool. But other than that, I'm kind of just looking for something that's like medium sized, close to my house where I'm able to do a lot of the things that I'm interested in. In this episode, we follow high school student Sarah as she navigates the admission process. In our last episode, the students, community college students Katie and Alyssa, talked about how important those last two years in high school were for them. So we wanted to take a closer look at exactly what happens during that time. My name is Keith Anstead, and this is Good School. Picking up with Sarah at the end of her junior year. So on Monday of this week, I had a meeting with the college counselor at my school, and I think it went pretty well. Before the meeting, I had to write down some safety target and reach schools that I'm interested in going to. So like safety schools are most likely like state schools that I could get into easily. And then a target school would be a school where the GPA, average GPA and SAT score are very similar to mine. And then REIT is obviously like an Ivy League school that I might get into, but like not a great chance. And so I already had quite a few colleges written down and my college counselor gave me 18 more, which is kind of crazy. So that's a little overwhelming. I have to go now and look up all of those schools and see if they have majors that I'm interested in. So that's going to be a lot of work. She liked the ones that I'd written down, kind of. So I didn't want to, but I wrote down Princeton, Harvard, and Yale as some of my reach schools. Holy cow. 18 schools? Sarah thinks it's crazy to have to research that many schools, and I agree. Students are generally encouraged to apply at 10 to 12 schools, which is still a lot. In fact, the average number of schools students apply to has tripled since 1995. Because students are applying to so many more schools, high-ranking schools like Harvard have seen an increase in applications, which results in a smaller percentage of students admitted. 
1995, the acceptance rate at Harvard was 11.8%. Today, it is 3.19%, the lowest in the history of the school. We'll talk about this more in our episode about rankings. But while the acceptance rates of the most highly ranked schools are going way down, the acceptance rates of most schools across the country have gone up. In fact, 80% of all ranked schools have an acceptance rate of over 50%. So again, why should students apply to so many schools? We talked to senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Education, Eric Hoover, to find out. Yeah, it's a great question. I can tell you so many high school counselors I've talked to who give advice like that, many of them don't like giving that advice. But here's why even counselors who don't love seeing their students apply to 10, 12, 15, 20 colleges, it's a strategy they want to uh, make sure that their students have as many options as possible. It has become uh, more difficult to predict outcomes. And as that predictability is waned, counselors have advised students say, to apply to more colleges in a particular category, say more safety schools, more reach schools. And it's also, I think for many college advisors, high school counselors, working with the bulk of American students for whom affordability is the main issue, not not some magical notion of fit, but uh, am I going to have any affordable options, reasonably affordable options? It's one thing to get in, as we all know. It's another thing to get in and get a financial aid package that is within the realm of reasonable possibility. So we know that students apply to a lot of schools. And we also know these schools want a lot of applicants. High school students are inundated with hundreds of marketing messages from schools across the country. But how do these schools know who the college-bound high schoolers are? How do they know those teenagers' addresses and emails and the type of school they're looking to want to go to after graduating? Christopher Wild, an associate director of admissions at Goucher College, provides some insight. So when we look at that kind of first part of, of recruitment, right, this is trying to kind of get a, a group of students, a, a pool of students from which you hope applications will come. And so we do that in a number of different ways. There's plenty of services out there where we go out and we purchase names. College Board will sell us the names of students who have taken the PSAT or AP exam or the SAT or, the, or uh, ACT will sell us ACT names, right? There's there's all these companies for buying student names and they charge, you know, 55 cents a name. And so you go out and you buy 150,000 names because you know they'll convert to about 10,000 or 13,000 inquiries and hopefully the applications you need and then hopefully they're all admissible, you know, right? So it's, you know, we have, it's, admissions is both an art and a science. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, a lot of my job is predicting what 17 and 18-year-olds are going to do, which is like, it's kind of like trying to predict the weather. Did you know that high school students' names are being sold to colleges? What other information is included in that profile? How are the names and profiles bundled and sold? Why are the admissions officers trying to predict the future of individual students who they know of only because they pay 55 cents? The College Board. The company selling those names is a billion-dollar company that owns the PSATs, SATs, and advanced placement courses that college-bound students are expected to take. All of these tests are expensive, somewhere between 60 and 90 bucks each. 
So we know Sarah's name and personal information is about to be bought by a bunch of colleges for 55 cents. She just unknowingly sold her identity to the college board and is preparing to take the SATs. Okay, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about my SAT class that I've been taking for the past two months. So it's Monday through Thursday from 5 to 6.45. There's three classes. There's reading, math, and writing. And we have two to three of these classes every day, depending on what day it is. And when I first heard about this program, I really did not want to do it because this would be taking away my homework and practicing time. But I decided to do it anyway because my mom said that I should, and my college counselor said that I should, so I did it so I could get into a good college, but I don't know if it's really helped me a ton. While some schools have now made standardized tests an optional part of the application, the tests are still widely used. Part of their inherent inequality stems from the $30 billion test prep industry. Those with the means to take a test prep class often get higher test scores because they've been taught to beat the test. That being said, the quality of these test prep classes can vary widely. So when I'm thinking about taking and preparing for the SATs, it honestly just feels like a waste of time sometimes because it's really not my strong suit. I have really good grades. I have other things that will help me get into this into schools better like just looking at my transcript and the school that I go to and my essay will will all be a lot stronger than my SAT score I can say that for a fact so I don't even know if it's worth it and my college counselor told me earlier this week that she doesn't think I will have to submit my SAT score she says that if it's above 1300 I should but I really don't think I'll be able to get that, at least not when I take it this Saturday. Sarah took the SAT spring of her junior year, but ended up not submitting her SAT scores. Despite all the effort she put into studying for the test, she was still afraid it might not look good enough for the school she wanted to attend. With the SATs behind her, as she prepares to start her senior year of high school, Sarah is focused on preparing her applications. I just got an email from my college counselor and the subject line says applications are ready. Okay, it says, hello seniors. It's August 2nd, which means that most college applications went live yesterday. This means that they have shifted from the class of 2021 to you, the class of 2022. They are ready for you to start entering information. Go to the admissions pages of colleges to which you are applying and you will find out how to apply. If you get a lot of this done now, you will be so grateful <laughs> once school starts. Some colleges have their own applications, but many accept the Common App or the Common Black College App. You have to go to each admissions, admissions page to find out how they want you to apply. For the schools you know you want to apply to, get started on these applications now. I'll be scheduling individual college meetings starting September. Your goal for that meeting should be to have a first draft list of schools. To check your GPAs, go to your Naviance account. Page 32 of the College Handbook has login, inst login instructions. Once you log into your account, click on About Me and then My Account. In the bottom right box, you will find your unweighted and weighted GPAs. Your cumulative GPAs won't change until you graduate, but schools will see your first quarter and first semester senior grades. It ruined my day when I saw the email. 
The admissions process is complicated. It is daunting and inscrutable for students and parents. Sarah is lucky that she goes to a school where her counselor has spelled out everything she needs to do in order to get into her dream school. Even if she doesn't know what that dream school is, At the beginning of her senior year, with the help of her guitar teacher, Sarah narrowed her list to seven schools. He wanted to know what my list was, and I told him my list. Peabody, Eastman, Oberlin, Berkeley, Shenandoah. I told him those, and he liked it a lot. He just said those were good. He was just going through them, um, talking a little bit about them. And then he, he said, I don't think you really need any more. And then I was like, What about some safety schools? So then he gave two schools that are kind of close to us that have good guitar teachers. Sarah ended up applying to nine schools, fewer than the 12 that our guidance counselor initially recommended. Spoiler alert, it ended up okay. She gets into college, even without 12 applications. But before that can happen, she needs to fill out the applications. But what are admissions counselors looking for when they review all of these applications? Back to Associate Director of Admissions at Goucher, Christopher Wilde. Uh, what we go by or what we use here at Goucher is a holistic review, which every college talks about and everyone talk, and it means something different at every school. Mm-hmm. It's one of those you know, college admissions buzzwords. We do a holistic review. Everything's looked at. What does that mean, actually? And so in reviewing applications, you know, we're looking for you know, students who think we're going to be successful here. We talked a, talked a little about that, kind of looking for the students who have the potential or the kind of the diamond in the rough. So I always start with the student's high school transcript. I want to see, you know, what classes you've taken, what grades you've got in those classes, what are trends, have you taken advantage of advanced course offerings? And so that way, when I have this kind of academic profile of, of kind of how they've done in, in, in their high school experience, counting the number of courses and academic subjects, that I can have an idea of kind of academically where this student is. And this kind of having that there, I can then look for things like, okay, I see in their sophomore year, their grades tanked. Then they brought them back up and they're doing great in, and they're doing great in their mid-year grades. So from there, I'll move to letters of recommendation, counselor, teacher, what are they saying about the student? And I then go to the student portion of the application, which we use the Common App. And so the Common App has, you know, biographic and demographic information, which, you know, you kind of just glance at because it's names and style is not. And then I look at activities, you know, what are you involved in in your community? And that's gonna be different for every student, right? There are some students who are involved in tons of stuff at school and they're president of everything. And you have students who are involved in one or two things but are really committed to them. And then you get to the essay, which is always my favorite part, because this is where you finally get to like hear the student voice. Everything else is, you know, it's numbers, GPA, other people talking about the student. Now I'm getting to hear the student in their own words. My name is Calvin, Calvin Pickett. I am a college essay coach with The College Essay Guy, a company that helps support students in telling their stories in their college essays. So you're reviewing the essay and we're looking at it not only for just content, you know, getting to know the student, but we're also, we're a liberal arts college. Liberal arts colleges in general tend to require a good bit of writing. So we're also looking at it as like, okay, do they have a good writing skill, a good grasp of writing and kind of getting to know the student in, in that way. Admissions officers like Christopher Wilde look at essays to evaluate good writing and concerned parents hire only the best writers like Calvin Pickett. 
Our process looks like using a set of brainstorming exercises that students complete beforehand that try and get students to think about a few different things. I mean, really what we're trying to encourage students to do is be vulnerable. So we have these brainstorming exercises that ask them explicitly about, you know, what are your top 10 values, top five, top three. We ask them to think about like 21 random details about themselves. And then as essay coaches, we then start working with the students and we start picking through that pile of stuff and thinking, what are some themes that are emerging? What are some kind of rich topics, objects, ideas you have that could help us showcase those sides of you. And then it's just a process of writing and revising and revising and revising and revising and revising until you have a great essay. Calvin is almost like a therapist who highly curates your life story, revises it and revises it and revises it until he thinks it's good enough to get you in. And how much do you think it costs to work with Calvin? It depends. A three-school package costs 4200 bucks, and it goes up from there. If you pay for it, your essay will be amazing. And so there is definitely, you know, I, I think it's important to own that there's a little bit of, like, ethical gray space in all college admissions work. I think that's something that makes the work more emotional, too, you know, outside of it, trying to you know, think through that and what that means, especially for me, kind of pivoting from a nonprofit, opening doors of opportunity for young people who may not have had those doors opened for them without some support to kind of like being the person standing in the doorway, ushering the person through who has always had that door open for them. That change it has been a little bit challenging. My college essay, I was looking through all of the Common App prompts and I didn't really feel inspired about any of the topics that were on there. It just seemed all like super generic and I didn't really feel like I could write a good essay on any of those topics. So then I saw option number seven, which is the last option. And it said that you can share an essay on any topic of your choice and it could be one that you've already written. So this gave me an idea to use an essay that I wrote my junior year. It was probably my favorite essay that I've ever written because it was about Taylor Swift and sexism in the music industry, and I was super proud of it. So I basically just took that essay and revised it a lot. But I think that that, like that using my own topic kind of lets colleges know a little bit more about me. And it's just not like the same five prompts that they're reading over and over. So I think it was a really good choice for me. Yeah, it was very nice to not have to write a whole new essay because that really saved me a lot of stress and saved me a lot of time too. I would say generally essays do not play a large role across the bulk of applicants in, in any given applicant pool at any at most most colleges I should say. I've had admissions officers when I've pushed them usually off the record, really, truly, you've just told me about your new essay prompt and you're so proud of it. But really Give me a number off the top of your head of how many applicants the essay truly makes a difference for. They've told me over the years things like, oh, 5%, 6%, 10%, 1-100% even. I think they tend to be used in ways that are going to confirm impressions that uh, other parts of their applications convey. Generally speaking, all of this furious effort to write and uh, rewrite and polish up these essays, I feel think is generally for not for most students. But an important point here is that colleges that require one or more essays or and or particular kinds of essays are very much certainly can be barriers to applying in the first place. 
So colleges use the essays to evaluate someone's writing skills, but then there are supplemental questions. Uh, these short answer questions can usually be answered in a paragraph and can be about anything, really anything. Back to Christopher Wilde. We are not looking for some metaphorical, allegorical reason for why you're applying. If it was because we require study abroad, you like the location, like just write about those things. And then the last question is in 10 words or less, if you could write one wrong, what would it be? Mm. And this is purely a fun question. <laughs> we, I've never once changed an admissions decision based on what a student wrote here. It's just kind of fun to see what they, what they write in that. And then we actually take all of those responses and we create a poster, the responses to the 10 words or fewer, and we send it out to the admitted students. You know, these are what your classmates are thinking about. Mm -hmm. Just like a cool little, like, mark, it's, you know, part marketing piece, right? But it's just like a cool thing to be like, what are your uh, classmates thinking of? So prospective students' short answers won't make or break the student, but they're great marketing for the colleges. These schools are really getting their money's worth out of the names they bought for 55 cents. Is anyone else feeling like these high schoolers might be being used? I ended up applying to nine schools. Submitting college applications costs so much money. Out of all the schools I applied to, most of them cost between 50 to $100. So I ended up spending probably about $500 on college applications, which is insane. I don't know why they would do that when that's just preventing some people from applying. But I was able to get fee waivers for, I think, one or two schools, but I paid everywhere else and it really added up. And there's still like, even after I applied to everything, which I finished all my applications by January 1st, I think, we still had to do the FAFSA. My mom filled out the FAFSA that took her like at least an hour, took a long time. And then we just had to do the CSS profile, which is like very similar to the FAFSA. And some other colleges also some colleges also like have their own financial aid things. So we've been doing all of that stuff. I just want to know like where I got in so I can finally decide. And even for some of the schools I've gotten into, they don't even have their financial aid packages ready yet. So even for those, I'll really have to wait until m March probably before I really know how much money I'm getting. So it's a really long process. I know that National Decision Day is May 1st and I hope that I am able to decide by then, but I'm not sure. So yeah, I'm just going to be waiting. After all that time and money, you should feel like you've accomplished something. And yet, you just wait. In terms of time, it's years. One-eighth of Sarah's life was spent on the application process. And a quarter of it, called high school, was largely focused on this one thing, getting into college. The applications are done, and now it's a waiting game. Applications are generally submitted in December and January. Students generally find out if they have been admitted sometime in April. Even if you get admitted, you still have to negotiate a financial aid package. Yes, I said negotiate. This is where the safety and reach schools come into play. They help with leverage. Financial aid negotiations must be finalized in less than a month. A 17-year-old has just a few weeks to decide how much debt they want to take with them into their bright future. 
This episode was produced by Community College of Baltimore County students. Kid Anstead, Olivia Jates, and Harley Bosco with help from For Real Media. Hosted by Kid Anstead. Writing consultant and editor, Stacia Stein. Edited by E.J. Snyder and Kyle Woodward. Original music and sound design by Kyle Woodward. Audio engineering by Nicholas Carlin. Cover art by Jacob Elliott. Thank you to the American Council of Learned Societies and the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation's Humanities for All program for founding this episode. Thank you to CCBC librarians Jean Box, Jamie Whitman, and Elizabeth Godwin for research support. Professor Jeremy Kaplan, for his support and guidance, Kelly Hurd and Ariel Nissenbland for marketing consultation, Angel Lewis, Kaylee McIntyre, and Andrea Alvarado Avila, that's me, for managing our social media, Sarah Bonnock, Eric Hoover, Christopher Weil, and Calvin Pickett for participating, and to the whole Good School crew for hanging in there and working hard over the past two years to produce this podcast series. Good School is a production of For Real Media, a Baltimore podcast production house removing perceived barriers to media production and bringing more inclusivity to storytelling. Find Good School on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Good School Pod. Tell your friends, your family, your students, your colleagues, and anyone you think will be interested about our podcast. Leave a five-star review to help others find us. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you will always know when new episodes drop. Go to forrealmedia.cd forward slash good dash school for more information about this episode you'll find a transcript of the episode and more good stuff in our show notes bye for now